the Arthropod. The Arthropod is the home for the wonderful, weird, wacky world of insects. Hosted by Jonathan Larson, Jody Green, and Michael Scavarla. Welcome back, everybody, to Arthropod, your entomology podcast. I am but one of your entomological hosts for the day, Jonathan Larson of the University of Kentucky. I'm another one of your hosts, Jody Green from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And I'm the last host today, Michael Scavarla with Penn State University. And we are honored to be joined by some special guests here today that are representing ESA. And I'm going to go ahead and let them introduce themselves and their affiliations and kind of talk about who they are. Well, I will go first. My name is An Tran. I currently work for ISK Biosciences located in Concord, Ohio. And at the company, I am their product development and technical services for insecticides. And I'm in charge of developing their insecticide products for North America. And I just finished my PhD at the University of Minnesota studying spotted wind drosophila and their migration capabilities. And my name is Josh Lansett. I am ESA's managing editor. I primarily work on managing our journals, um, but I also am the staff liaison to our common names committee, which is how I got involved with um, the, our discussion topic for today. Uh, we have some good Minnesota representation on the call. I, I live in <laughs> Minneapolis, Minnesota. Lake Pride uh, is what we'll say, I guess, or <laughs> Laker State Pride. That's right. Uh, I'm, I'm very appreciative that you both took the, the chance to be with us here today. I, I couldn't quite tell if this was that you volunteered to join us on the podcast or if the ESA was kind of like, no, you two are going to be the ones that are going to talk to these Jamokes. I think it was more of a, I think it was more of a volunteer uh, okay, good. thing. So I, I was happy to join. And then um, we also wanted to, uh, we invited on to join the, uh, the call as well, because she's been involved in the Better Common Names Project really since the beginning. Um, and so I, I currently, I'm, or I am not an entomologist. I have a publishing background, um, but on of course is, and so she has, we both kind of come to the discussion with some uh, different perspectives. Excellent. I think this is going to be a really interesting topic. We are diving into the Better Common Names Project here today, something that I've been excited to hear about. I've been following closely since I first heard about it, maybe a little over a year ago. We've been kind of trying to build towards this podcast episode for a while, and it has all to do with Lymantria dispar dispar and uh, some naming changes that are going on there. So I was kind of hoping that with the representation from the Better Common Names Project, we could start with some basics and just share with our listeners what is a common name? Like, what does that mean, entomologically speaking, and why are they important? Sure, I'll take a stab at this. So broadly speaking, common names are generally used to bridge communication between scientists and the general public. Uh, The main goal is to attempt to help the public and stakeholders to be able to refer to species without having to memorize or learn how to pronounce Latin scientific names. For example, it's easier to remember, and just with my study system, to say soybean aphids versus aphids glycine or spotted wintersophila versus drosophila suzukii. And it's like when sometimes there are insects, and for an entomologist, you're like, well, it doesn't really have a common name. And I guess the public would be like, well, why not? Exactly. Yeah. They think we're all snobby because we're using a scientific name. But just because something has a common name, like, I guess officially, it doesn't mean it it isn't confusing. I guess the example I always think of in that, you know, you see on Twitter and around or 
or daddy long legs, depending on where you're from, that may, that name might mean apiliones, which are arachnids, uh, cellar spiders in the, the family Fulcidae, or even crane flies if you're from the UK. Um, and so I guess, can, what is the role in, in the entomological society in, in uh, regulating common names? And I guess, how, does, how do you even regulate something that's by definition, like in the public domain and controlled by public usage? Like if everybody tomorrow decided, well, in America, daddy long legs means crane flies, like that, that's just the way it is, is a, is a common name and it's a common name because of common usage. So I guess, can you talk on the intersection of, of that and what exactly, you know, ESA dealing in common names, how that affects it? Absolutely. So a little bit of, of history, maybe to start ESA, um, or really one of its parent organizations, the American Association of Economic Entomologists, first published uh, a list of approved common names for insects and related arthropods in 1908. Um, as a way to bring uniformity to common names, they saw that different common names were being used in different regions within, uh, within the country. And so they wanted to bring some uniformity um, in order to aid communication, as Ann was, was mentioning. In the 1950s, then, that organization merged with the Entomological Society of America and, and became what is now known as the Entomological Society of America. Uh, and we've kept that list of common names ever since. In 1908, there was 142 names on the list, and now there's well over 2,000. Um, there is a formal process for how a name gets added to the list. Essentially, someone or a group fills out a proposal form um, that has information on um, on the new name, uh, information on the insect, an argument on why the, the common name should be accepted into our approved list. Um, and essentially what it, what it means if a name gets accepted into our approved list is that ESA uses that name in our communications, in our publications, in our policy documents. Um, and in terms of how we regulate common names, uh, you're right that, um, they are common usage. So historically, we've acted more as a dictionary um, than a prescriber of names. And so on the proposal form, there needs to be some sort of recognition that a common name is in use. Um, I would say um, in we don't have any authority over common names, except the authority that's given to us, essentially. So we can control the names that we use. Um, but we really what we really rely on is um, the community, the public, um, you know, different organizations or people looking to us as the authority and believing that if we all use the, com the same common name, that will aid in communication with each other. And so really the only authority we have is, is that authority that we're given. Um, and, and we hope that by being a good steward of the common names list that people will continue to look to us um, as the arbiter of those names. Yeah, it sounds like the power is vested in you by the people. Uh, we all sort of trust ESA on this. And that, there's a lot of power in that. And I think that's coming through in this discussion with the Better Common Names Project. So with this project, can you sort of explain to our listeners what is the Better Common Names Project? And then when was this committee or group created? And then sort of what's your central mission? Why, why was this founded and, and why is this sort of an, an important plank for ESA going forward? I can answer this one first. Um, so in 2020... Roughly, we started hearing from members and members of the public 
about problematic common names. Um, and so some of those comments involved uh, Lamantria Dispar, which I think we'll get into later. Um, some of them uh, were about geographic references and common names. Um, this also, there were, there were several other factors that kind of were happening around the same time. Uh, this came in the rise of, uh, of hate crimes against Asians and Asian Americans, um, you know, and names for COVID-19 with uh, people using names for, for the disease with geographic descriptions and that, uh, you know, leading to, to more hate crimes uh, against Asians and Asian Americans. Um, and this was also paired with, um, I might butcher the Latin here, but Vespa mandarina in the United States, also referred to as the murder hornet or Asian giant hornet and concerns um, over the geographic description in that name. Um, uh, I'd say that uh, also kind of in, in the cultural um, sphere, uh, this was around the same time that George Floyd was murdered um, and which led many organizations to really double down on their commitment to diversity and inclusion efforts. Uh, and ESA was included in that. Um, more so, we also were hearing from Romani scholars and activists who shared really powerful stories with us about the dehumanizing effects of the common name, um, the old common name of Lamantria Dispar. And so all of these factors kind of happening at the same time coalesced into a charge from the ESA president, um, Michelle Smith at the time, uh, for the Common Names Committee and our DEI committee to come up with a plan to address problematic names. Um, we know we have this issue. What are we going to do to fix it? How do we want to, how do we want to fix it? Uh, that led to the creation of a task force, which included people from the, um, the Common Names Committee, the DEI Committee, as well as some members at large. Um, and they met and came up with a process to address common names, which uh, was called the Better Common Names Project. Uh, and so based, so kind of getting into the aim of what the, this project is and what it is doing, it's essentially an effort to address and identify and change common names of insects and related arthropods that are offensive, derogatory, exclusionary, or dehumanizing in some way. Uh, in other words, names that do exactly the opposite of what common names are intended to do, which is to build bridges in communication. Um, but are these what are the names that are, um, that are putting barriers in communication? Um, so what that process looks like, what the task force um, came up with is, uh, first, we're gonna solicit feedback on names that, what names might need to be changed. So members, um, ESA members or members of the public can submit names that they think are problematic. Uh, we launched uh, an open form in July of 2021. Uh, after we, uh, we'll then take a look at those names and assess if any of them need changing. Um, if they do need changing, then working groups will be formed to propose, uh, to research alternative names and, and propose a new name for an insect. Uh, and then um, once they propose a name, it goes through our normal common names process, which includes a formal proposer, proposal, member comment uh, period, and also final governing board approval. Um, and so, so my role on this committee is, since I was the staff liaison to the common names committee, I became the staff liaison um, to this project as well. And so really providing, um, I, I try to provide um, some, some organizational help to the group, um, scheduling meetings, making sure we have agendas and we sort of have a plan in place um, at some administrative help. Um, and maybe Anna, I'll let you chat about how you got involved. I think you mentioned exactly how I got involved. Um, it was during the pandemic. Um, I am an Asian American and just during the whole COVID when it all started and then the announcement of 
quote, Asian murder hornet, unquote. And my neighbors made a inappropriate comment towards me. And I'll just say it. And he, they went up to me and said, on ah, first COVID and now your people are releasing Asian murder hornets. Are you trying to kill Americans? Like, do you hate us? And I know they're trying to be funny, but it wasn't funny. Um, it was very hurtful. So I was uh, emotionally charged from that comment. And I remember talking to members of the Entomological Society, and they helped me draft up an email and sent it to Chris. And he got in communication with Josh. And I think this is how I got involved with the better names. I actually really appreciate hearing that because kind of what I'm hearing is that there's there's a through line of the pandemic and some of the other problems that happened at the, the outset of 2020. Like there was a lot of emotions that were going on then. Everybody was afraid of a lot of things. Uh, we had a murder that happened very publicly uh, and affected racial consciousness in America. And so I think ESA, I guess I've, I've been interested in this because I feel very proud to be part of an organization that saw this flashpoint in history and was like, oh, we can actually do something here. Like we can take action as a group to help lessen some of these pressures. I mean, no, it's not going to change America and the systemic problems that we have, but like, I guess I'm proud that ESA thought they should take the opportunity to to step into this and change some problematic things that we could have probably approached several dozen years ago if we really wanted. Uh, So I appreciate hearing both of your experiences in terms of how you got involved and sort of the genesis of it, because I think when some people hear Better Common Names Project, they may think, oh, this has probably been around since the 60s or 70s, uh, trying to make sure that this is this is how we're doing business. But it really is this modern approach to renaming some of the insects that we've long had relationships with. And I think it's kind of fair to say that you all got very famous very rapidly uh, as a committee <laughs> and maybe not in the most positive way, uh, in the most like traditional social media sense. Uh, some of it got to be like, some of you got to be the stars of Twitter for a day, which is never where you want to be as a group, I don't think. Uh, and it was in light of your announcement regarding Lymantria dispar and to a lesser extent, Mike, what's the ant species? How do you, how would you say that? Correct my Latin. Aphinogaster uh, aranoides. There you go. And I guess for the sake of clarity, we'll be obtuse up front and say the, the previous common names for these were the gypsy moth and the gypsy ant. And then the committee and the ESA has decided that we want to step away from that nomenclature. We're not going to use those terms again for the podcast. We do agree that they are offensive and we don't want to use them. So I think, Mike, maybe you could lead the charge on talking a little bit about uh, some of the stuff that you saw on social media in regards to why this is offensive, particularly for Dispar, uh, and then talk about some of those tweets that you saw. So at least with the name for Lymantra Dispar, uh, I had, you know, you hear the, the old common name and I had assumed it related in some way to like the way the caterpillars move, like they move a lot. And Romani people who the, the name is offensive to, you know, typically move frequently. Um, and I just, I'd never really thought about it that deeply. And um, the name that, that common name for uh, the ant species of Phinogaster aranoides uh, specifically says that um, Terry McGlynn, uh, who is now um, he published a blog where he, you know, 
regrets naming the trying to work around the common names and not actually say them because they're so embedded in my brain. Um, named the ant that, um, and I'll just quote from his blog, uh, quote, the common, he proposed the common name because, quote, they are itinerant critters that move from one place to another with a number of specific places they will stay temporarily, but never occupy a single one permanently. Um, and uh, the, I'm going to say the word one more time, uh, just to, I think for clarity, um, gypsy with a big G referring to Romani people is offensive. Some dictionaries, English dictionaries, when you use it with a small G, uh, claim that it's maybe not offensive because it means just this way of moving around itinerantly. Um, Romani people I've seen go both ways on little G gypsy, if it's offensive or not. Um, I think the common names initiative, just saying we're not going to use it at all, regardless of like the, the origin of that is good. So then thinking about Lymantra dispar, the moth, uh, I was really surprised, um, almost shockingly so when, uh, Chris McQuarrie posted, a, like a, a clip from the uh, what is this from Wilkes in 1741 um, about the origin of the common names for Lamantru Dispar. And I'm just going to quote it here. This name was first given to it, so far as I can learn, by Wilkes, 1741, and Humphreys in his uh, British Moths. And oh, sorry, and Humphreys in his British Moths says that, quote, the popular name of the gypsy was no doubt suggested by the brown, tanned kind of color of the male. Uh, so specifically calling out, like, we named this moth based on the skin color of, of Romani people, which is, like, maybe you could give a pass, maybe, for, like, they have an itinerant lifestyle, but, like, most certainly not with this, uh, because that, like, that's just straight up racism. I don't know. I was really surprised to, to just learn that when I, to see it on Twitter, and not even that long ago, um, when all of this started happening. Were these the kinds of things that were brought up to the Better Common Names Committee uh, from the Roma Romani scholars that you mentioned before, Josh? They were absolutely, yeah. And in, in terms of the word, um, Mike, uh, Mike is right that there are some different opinions. Um, there are some groups, especially some uh, some groups of Roma people in the UK, that are reclaiming the word for themselves, um, and which which is their right to do so. Um, but certainly, we as ESA felt like that we can't use an ethnic slur. If, if that group wants to reclaim it for their use, um, they can, but we don't want to use it anymore. We also heard some, um, you know, the, the, the concept of it uh, signifying kind of wanderer or traveler or itinerant lifestyle. Um, Ian Hancock uh, at the University of Texas, who was the former um, Romani representative to the United Nations, told the Washington Post in, in a story after words that, uh, and this is what we heard from some of our representatives um, uh, that we were talking to too as part of the working group is uh, even that is based in stereotypes that aren't helpful. Uh, the only reason that these people were, were, were travelers and wanderers is because they weren't allowed to stay in places. They were, um, they were forcibly, uh, they were forced out of countries. They were not allowed to participate in the society. Um, and so even some of these um, you know, as people would say, almost positive notions of, 
of, of gypsy or um, they're based in stereotypes that aren't helpful and aren't respectful. And so, um, you know, however you interpret the word, uh, I think we are hearing from the Roma community that this is a problem. And it especially is a problem when it is used for the name of a moth that is the target of eradication efforts. Um, when named with a slur against the people who also in their history have been the targets of eradication efforts of as recently as 2015 state sponsored uh, forced sterilization. Um, and so there are some real problems, not just that it's using a slur in and of itself, but with the, uh, the effect of the pest and, and people that have throughout their history been referred to in, in, in sort of pest related terms as, you know, infesting things or invading. Uh, and so this was the feedback we were hearing from people. And so based on that, um, the, and based on a change in our common name rule, common names rules that we passed, which would uh, essentially, we, we banned using references to people or cultures or people groups, um, the ESA governing board decided to remove that name from our approved list immediately. They just didn't see, um, you know, any reason why we should continue using it, um, even with before replacement was in place. Um, it just, they felt like it went against all of our DEI values to continue approving that usage. They made the decision to remove it from our list. And what kind of reactions did you get from, from this, the whole gamut of, of reactions from different people? We certainly got a lot of reactions. Um, I, I'd say we received, and, and sort of, so there were two announcements we made at the same time. There was the announcement of launching the Better Common Names Project, that this is something we're, we're intending to do, and also the removal of the former common name for Lamantria Dispar. Um, and so we got feedback sort of on, on both fronts. Um, so in terms of the, the Better Common Names Project, I think there was, uh, we, we, we did get a lot of support from, um, from ESA members and the scientific community that we were working to address this, um, you know, a problematic area of the science. Um, we certainly also heard from, from people who felt like, you know, don't we have better things to do with our time and money? Um, you know, is, is this, or, or is this actually an issue? Are we, are you just inventing a problem where there is none? Um, I think in, in sort of response to that is this, this was an effort that, uh, that came in response to concerns from members um, and, and from scientists. It wasn't something that was an effort that was just kind of dreamed up in a lab, um, but it, it was something that was a very real concern and in response to a concern from our members. Um, we also, uh, and then we heard feedback in regards to um, removing uh, the name, uh, the former common name for Lamantri Dispar. Uh, and that also we heard a lot of good and bad. It, we, we got a lot of press from it, stories featured in major media outlets. And so we certainly got a lot of troll comments, a lot of very uh, nasty emails and voicemails and death threats. Um, but we also received a lot of positive comments as well that, um, you know, we were doing the right thing. And even though it was going to be hard to, transi to transition and hard to uh, break this name that's been in use for hundreds of years, um, that it was the right thing to do. And people were, um, you know, we're, we're happy that we were doing it and we're excited to be involved in the process. That's crazy. You really, ESA received death threats over this. 
I'd say veil death threats. Um, Failed, so, okay. Uh, <laughs> Still bad. <laughs> so yeah, it was uh, not necessarily targeted at, at an individual person, um, but certainly enough that we had to report some of them um, to authorities. Person. That's awful. I mean, just over trying to not be offensive to a certain group of people, uh, people feel that passionately about preserving the, the name of a pest. Uh, I find that bizarre. And the idea that it's making up a problem where there is none, I mean speaks from a, a real place of privilege, I would say, to be like, this has never bothered me, so why, why should it bother anybody else? Uh, I was I, I was intrigued to hear just sort of, because I saw some of the stuff on Twitter, on Facebook. I've, I've even heard other entomologists uh, say like, oh, you know, I feel like this is just, this is all smoke and mirrors. Like, what's what's the problem? What's the deal? And I was just curious, I guess, yeah, those reactions, uh, that sounds pretty charged. Uh, did you, did we have, did you have to engage with any of these people? Like was ever, was this ever in public or was this sort of all over the internet? Most of it was online. Uh, we certainly uh, did have concerns from, from people that we would talk with them about. Um, I do think that, you know, it, ESA was in, uh, we were in a good position to accept uh, criticism and negative comments more so than if this was an effort from, you know, a small group of people. Uh, who are trying to make changes themselves, um, that it's, it's a lot easier for an organization to sort of absorb some of that than if it was, you know, four or five individual scientists trying to make a change and trying to, uh, and on being on the receiving end of, of, um, the, of the criticism. Um, I think, um, this, and there certainly were some fair criticisms of the process. Um, you know, we, we heard from a lot of people who who study Lamantria dispar, who um, you know are involved in controlling it, that uh, you know this this announcement was made during one of the worst uh, outbreaks in in decades, uh, and that it sort of left them they were surprised by it and they didn't know what to do in the meantime, and so they felt like they were kind of um, uh, they felt yeah they they felt confused, and which I think is a very fair criticism um, or, a, or a fair comment at least. It did put people in a really hard place. Um, and how do we how do we talk about this insect now um, that's having a, a major outbreak here with devastating effects? How do we talk about this? We don't know what to do. Um, and so I, I would say that in the future, any other names that we change, we don't anticipate removing the common name um, before we have a replacement ready. However, I think this was a unique case um, because this is the only one that we're aware of that contains a word that's recognized as an ethnic slur. Um, this was a unique case where we, we had to stop its use, um, you know, before we had a replacement and uh, replacement ready as that process uh, takes a long time to come up with a new name. So after all of that process that you're kind of describing, uh, you've already made this announcement. I saw a New York Times article from yesterday where the announcement was made about the spongy moth. Uh, I was wondering if the both of you could talk about what was the process like to receive some of this feedback to get the names kind of filtered in about ideas that people had. And then how did the committee work through those? I saw a working list at one point that everybody got to vote on. So can you to kind of talk our listeners uh, from soup to nuts on this? Like, how did you start the process? Where did the names come from? Who got to decide what names were voted on? And then how was this one ultimately selected? I'll field this one since I was maybe more involved in the process. Um, so essentially what we did is uh, when we announced that we were removing the name, we created a working group. Um, and this, and then we opened a call for people to let us know if they'd like to be included in the working group. Uh, we had a lot of people express interest. 
Um, I think it was maybe around 150 people who wanted to join the working group. We ended up inviting, um, I think, just over 50 people to actually join it. Um, so that was intended to be people that were stakeholders in La Mancha Dispar for some reason. Maybe they, they work in control um, of the pest or they study it or they're in forestry, uh, that their, their work or somehow touches this insect or the effects of the insect. Um, as well as we wanted to include people, um, people who identified them uh, as Romani. So they would have some input from the start on what the process looks like and what the new name would be. After we formed the working group, uh, then we, uh, we came up with a process to essentially research new names and solicit new name suggestions. So um, uh, the group performed a lot of research on what the name has been called historically in other areas, what it's currently called in other, uh, other countries, in its native range, translating names, coming up with a list of essentially what are all the other names that are currently in use for this insect. Uh, and then we also had an open form where anyone could submit a name that they thought we should consider for the new name. Um, and so we had over 200 unique names submitted, um, and that includes both new names and names used elsewhere. A lot of those, um, all except I think maybe 35 or so, uh, we filtered out almost immediately because they didn't meet uh, our guidelines in some way. Um, a lot of them were maybe silly submissions like uh, Hungry Hungry Caterpillar or something like that. Um, or they were not specific enough, like Terrible Moth or something like that. Um, we also had some that, so some of our, our guidelines also include things on uh, not wanting negative connotations with the name. And so we didn't include things like Destroyer Moth. Um, we also, uh, from the start, didn't want to consider names that referenced stereotypes of Roma people. And so that included things like traveling moth and wandering moth. Um, and so immediately that list got pared down pretty quickly. Uh, that then went through a, a second uh, curation uh, where the working group essentially kind of selected some of their favorite names from that list. Um, from there, a short list was created of seven names and that went out broadly to the community. Um, we had, we had a survey that was, was shared with, um, with many groups to provide input. We didn't share it publicly necessarily. Anyone could have um, filled it out, but we wanted to really focus on stakeholder groups. So um, organizations that work in um, work with Lamantry Dispar or with Forest in some way. So from there, we kind of got results from people on what their preferences were. And then a, a smaller group, a steering committee, um, and that was intended to be sort of representational of the working group since the working group was so large, selected uh, uh, the final name to propose, um, which was Spongy Moth. Uh, and so this name uh, they selected because it met a lot of our considerations that we wanted in a common name. Uh, some of those being it's, it's short, it's easily pronounceable. It references some aspect of the insect's biology. Uh, it's not offensive in, in any way. It doesn't reference any stereotypes of Roma people. Uh, there's historical precedent for its use. It's a translation of the common name that's used in France and French-speaking Canada. It's also closely related to some common names used in, in Germany and Turkey, uh, which reference um, like sponge spinner or sponge knitter. Uh, and so it, it met a lot of the criteria we were looking for. Uh, and so that was the name they chose as the final name. Um, 
it was it was hard it was a hard decision i think the the group quickly learned that there's no perfect common name um and people have very strong opinions on what should be the most most important element of a common name um you know we have some groups that that said it it absolutely needs to be a name that or use a word that the public will recognize a word that's in common usage and other groups saying just as strongly it 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 doesn't need that it needs to be based in the scientific element of it so it should be like disparate moth um or something that relates um more to the the scientific terminology and so um people have yeah very strong opinions on on what the most impa- uh, important factor should be but the group felt like spongy moth met the most criteria um and and was a very defensible name um and even if it's not a perfect name it is a better name on as a committee member were you receiving a lot of this sort of input from peers uh and trying to process it yourself or were you kind of making your own opinion known about which of these you thought should go forward it's kind of funny when this was first announced uh some of my friends just know that i'm heavily involved with the entomological society America and they're like ah and I'm getting a lot of comments like what should we call elementary dispar like what is the ESA doing and I was like oh funny you should say we're working on informing a committee together and um, one of my friends she wanted to be part of the committee but she wasn't a member of ESA and I said your opinion matters because you are part of a working group that works on elementary dispar the spongy moth and you're you would be great to be on the task force because she wanted to be, she came up to me and asked me about it. Like, what can she do? And she's been um, in within her office, not letting people use the previous common name of spongy moth. And so my role was just kind of just to guide her into and encouraging her to join the working group. Um, but I was just kind of on the back end, receiving comments and reading at the end and just filtering things and making the final selection. Um, I wasn't involved with the people that did all the research and putting together the documents of saying like, yes, um, we like spongy moth. Right. I, I'm very intrigued that it ended up as spongy moth. I'll be very honest when I saw the list. Uh, I did not think spongy moth would be the winner. Mike, Jody, would you, where were you at on some of that? Well, I can already say that, you know, when you think of, I don't know what you're going to name your your dog or your child, you know, people, <laughs> you don't even tell people what you're going to think you're going to name them because you don't want that criticism. So I can't even imagine what you went through or the committee had to go through and no one, I mean, it's just like, you know, your dog or your child or your hamster or whatever you name it. Like I've tried to name the snake that I got last week and we can't decide. So, you know, you're not going to please everybody, but I know being um, from Canada and last year, my family had a lot of problems with the spongy moth um, in all parts of Ontario. And I actually just sent my sister uh, an email about the the name change, because I feel like for homeowners or it's going to be so hard for common people to use the new common name. Right. So I think it's great that it's been changed in like iNaturalist and bug guide. And so, I mean, I'm just so proud of the group, but I know why it was 
I think sponge, the spongy moth because of the French Canadian name. And I know that for a little while, that's what we were calling it. I think it was like sponge juice, sponge juice. Is that right? <laughs> Not a very good French Canadian, obviously. Um, but Mike probably isn't a fan. It was probably my least favorite of the choices on the list. Um, but you know, my opinion doesn't matter. So whatever. <laughs> it is what it is. And I'm not going to complain about it. Yeah, it no, he's going to yell at you. That's the last <laughs> half of the podcast actually is my just ranting. About. Uh, no, I think, I think it's very interesting. Like Jody and Mike and I, we are extension professionals. And so I was, I was very pumped just to see what was going to come out that I get to use. We're leaning into a citizen science project that's focused on spongy moth this year uh, with my group. And I was like, what do I get to call it? Like, what am I going to teach these people? And, you know, there were some like Josh highlighted, I think there were some that were very scientific uh, that would fit folks, maybe like Mike's preferences, like disparate moth, or was it, there was like spotted reticulated, or I I can't remember all of the the different ones. And then there were ones like, for me, I was like the great defoliator moth that I want to highlight it's, it's possible destructive nature, but knowing what I know now about the committee and what you have to consider, I think spongy moth is probably the best of all worlds. Like you said, I mean, it, it, there's a reason that it was selected. So uh, I appreciate hearing some of that history about why we arrived at something. Cause I definitely, I was like spongy, really? All right. Like we're going to roll with, with the spongy moth. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very excited though. Like we're already rebranding stuff. I know the slow, the spread people here in Kentucky, they're already getting prepared. Uh, I am intrigued. Like what is your, what are your perspective on and Josh, just like, how long do you think it will take extension and outreach folks to sort of spool out their old material with the old offensive name? Uh, and how long do you think it will take for people to embrace the, the sponge, embrace the spongy? Embrace the spongy. I, like that. <laughs> I, I know some of my forest entomology friends, uh, they love the new name and they're so excited. I was scoping around the ESA Facebook page and so many positive um comments are saying like, I'm so excited to use this brand new name. It's so important that we stop using the previous common name. Like they're like, yes, go spongy moth, a name I can be proud to say. And like something that Josh mentioned earlier, it's not the perfect name. That's why we're the better name committee. Um, but referring back I like to that. your- <laughs> that's, that's a good, you're not the perfect common names committee. You're the better common names committee. That's a good I, tagline. That That's something- a member on the committee said, so I can't take all the credit for that. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Credit Tim Ebert. I think the change might take, um, it will take longer in in some forms than others, certainly getting a whole country. um, And in this case, uh, the Canadian Entomological Society also announced that that they're changing um, the, the English common name to spongy moth. So getting whole countries to start referring to an insect by a different name is certainly going to be a task. Um, I hope that individual extension programs um, or outreach organizations, control organizations are not in it alone. Um, We've tried from the start to involve as many people in this process as we could and make sure that groups are informed of the process and have, um, you know, up-to-date knowledge on changes that are happening. And so what we've been seeing since Wednesday is a lot of outreach happening that it, uh, together people, lots of programs, uh, university programs, state programs, federal programs working together to get the new name out there. 
Um, and then, and certainly media coverage helps as well. So I think it still will be a challenge, but I'm, I'm hopeful that the change will be faster um, than we think it will be. Uh, certainly ESA, we are here to support the effort as much as we can and help the community with resources that they need to work with your constituents to communicate the new name and, and why uh, the new name is what it is. And also why the, um, and also the destructive nature of the pest. I think that's something we don't want to lose as well, that this sort of renaming of the insect is a really good opportunity to talk afresh about why the really devastating effects that it can have um, on our forests here. Yeah, I already know that it's going to take a lot of education just speaking to my family on why it's offensive, because for some people, like they have no idea. That's just what it's what it's called. Why do you have to change it? Right. Um, I think that's a cool point, actually. Like uh, Kentucky is sort of a border state for this pest. And I wonder if I'll have an easier time talking to people about spongy moth than an educator in Massachusetts who's been dealing with this for their whole career, where that's like a long held. I mean, there are books that are named after this moth, uh, right? Like they have things that are culturally associated with it because of, I guess, their heritage with this pest. So maybe I'll have an easier time than somebody in Amherst. And I think Jody makes a really good point um, to that. That is one, a lot of people aren't aware that that gypsy is considered an offensive, is considered an ethnic slur and is an offensive term. Um, I myself wasn't aware of it until a couple of years ago when people started raising the concerns about this common name to me. Um, and so there will be some education needs to happen about why we've decided to move away from this term as well. Yeah, I think it's like a open door for hard conversations. And, um, you know, beyond the use of these charged words um, for common names, um, there's also talk about choices that were about geographical regions. Did you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I know that geographic regions in common names were used just to note where the insect came from, right? Where it's um, origins are. And there's, I know there wasn't any intention for negative impacts, but I think that's what happens. People just associate, oh, that's a region, bad things come from there. I was just at a conference and someone came for me and we were just talking about insects in general because they found out I was an entomologist and they just broadly said, yeah, all problems come from Asia. And it, it's kind of hurtful because yeah. I'm just like, I know you're talking about insects, but I'm Asian and I, I did come from Asia. And so it's very hurtful. And I, I know they did not mean to hurt my feelings, but it just, it, it's still hurtful. Words matter. And so, yeah, it, sometimes it just provokes backlash against members too. Well, mm-hmm. and, and I, we should point out some common names were intentionally named to hurt people. Um, thinking specifically of things like German cockroach, which uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but what I learned was they were named that during one of the times there was conflict with Germany and we named them German cockroaches to be like, ha, came from those dirty people over there. Um, unless you of the Commons Names Committee know differently, uh, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. That's, that is what I learned at least. I think you're right. Um, I'm, I don't know about that specific scenario, so I'll, I'll trust you. Uh, I do know that, yeah, there have, as Arn was saying, lots of names contain geographic references and I think was an, an honest um, 
an honest name to try to note where the species is coming from. Um, but I, I do think as, as Michael, you were saying that there are some that I think were intentionally named after uh, with geographic regions. Um, an example here would be the Japanese beetle. Um, there's been a lot of research on the, how this, uh, this insect when it was introduced in the early 1900s um, was also around the same time when there was lots of immigration from Japan. And the two, uh, the efforts to um, uh, eradicate the Japanese beetle were very closely tied with anti-Japanese people sentiments and efforts at the time. Um, so this is very clearly seen in uh, cartoons from the time. Um, and, uh, even, uh, I was reading in, uh, in, in 1930, um, a New York times wrote, uh, writer, um, lamented, and maybe I can share this resource in the, the show notes, if that's possible for, uh, for us to do, um, talking about pests being arriving from other parts of the globe as immigrants, they're sometimes given names, which tend to provoke an unkind feeling towards the countries or regions from which they come. Um, and so this was something that was in the consciousness back in the, thir- the 1930s, um, that this was an issue that these pests were being linked. And I think a lot of times intentionally um, to people. With the geographic thing, uh, is it, I mean, does it boil down to like Japan and Japanese? Th- those are not bad words. But when we pair it with things like invasive, exotic, destructive, uh, the ultimate pest, and then talking about eradication, talking about destroying talking about killing as many possible i mean is that in your opinions i guess what charges these things and creates the situation like on encountered where her neighbors think they're making a joke but really are saying something i incredibly pointed and hurtful (laughs) i think so i think it just promotes xenophobia as well it's just kind of odd just sitting in the audience and just you're being the only Asian, and then the word says this is an invasive species from Asia, and they destroy everything, cause economic impact, and just hear a lot of negative con- connotations afterwards. I'm just like, oh gosh, I know they're not talking about me, but right, it's yeah. just kind of hard. Well, and I can, I, I don't know if I've just, I'm a terrible Asian because I am so desensitized to it as an extension professional. I'm Asian Canadian. I've, I'm, I mean, that's my heritage. I've not been there, but I do get comments all the time. And I guess for me, I'm always like, well, like I can affect the way I feel about it. Right. I can't, or how I react to it. So a lot of times when it's, why do all these bad things come from Asia or, you know, why are they always from Asia? Why are they invading? And so I'm like, well, do you know where we get all our products? Where do you get your things from? Where, you know, sometimes it's made in China. Where do you buy things from? These things get imported. When this happens, like you, this is part of our world. You can't just blame, you know, Asian countries because it bothers you. And I'm like, and then I have to talk about, you know, there are some invasive pests that are invasive from America, you know. And then we talk about fall armyworm and how it's devastating, you know, Asia and Africa, but we don't think about those things. And so I guess it's a very tiresome education for me, but I can't say, I guess, because I'm like, you know, hard and cold that 
it hasn't affected me. It does. It's just, I have to, I can't get angry about everything, but definitely I have felt the, the hurt of that. And a lot of times if it's on the phone, I sometimes want to say, you know, I wish I could, I wish you could see my face when you are saying that because they probably, I say a hundred percent chance they don't know that I'm Asian. Right. Um, you know, last week it was a lace wing. Uh, oh, it's, it's probably from, from Asia, like all the other bad things, you know, and it's, it's those things that are unnecessary. And I have to just think, okay, this person is ignorant and doesn't understand. And then I have to explain it. They don't see uh, a culture, I guess. So I don't know. Thank you for bringing that up and bringing that to my, I guess, I don't think I've ever talked about this with like Jonathan and Mike either. I just, I just go with it and keep going, but it is very hurtful. Oh yeah. And of course, you know, my experience is not like every other Asian's experience. Maybe they just say, Oh, that was just a comment meant no harm. Keep going. But um, just because you feel some way doesn't mean that's how everyone else should feel about it too. So you're, you're not a bad Asian, Jody, <laughs> for what you said earlier. That's all I wanted to point out. Uh, I think, yeah, this is a really important conversation just because whenever we do talk about invasive species, the word Asia pops up a lot. I actually had this moment of realization the other day. I was doing an invasive species talk for Master Gardeners, and I got to like the third one, and I realized I had said Asia like six times. And I stopped, and I was like, I just want to be very clear that uh, we give as good as we get, like we've sent them bugs and, uh, you know, America's not <laughs> unculpable in all this and I'm not trying to denigrate Asia or anything. And they all looked at me like I grew a second head, so they must not have been feeling it, but I was like, I want to be very clear. And, uh, you know, I've seen this on our Facebook page. We have the Kentucky bugs Facebook page. We posted about multicolored lady beetles. And uh, there was a gentleman I had to block from the page because he went on this like racist screed about how we should sue China for all the ash trees we've lost and everything. And like he hated China and he was focusing his hatred through insects, which blows my mind personally. I don't know how you could do that. But yeah, this is real. Like anybody that would challenge a group like the Better Common Names Committee that's broaching these topics, I think needs to, to open their eyes a little bit and realize that people use these things as excuses to hate people and we can't be party to that i don't think our we can't have that on our hands as a society and as a science so i really appreciate all the work that you've done and all of the uh painfulness it sounds like that you would like the process itself sounds painful uh to to come at this name and then is that what's next like are we going to look at japanese beetle next are we going to talk about sparrow hornets rather than Asian giant hornets? Are we going to embrace murder hornet instead of Asian giant hornet? Like where, where is the committee headed next with some of this? I think next for our committee is we are looking at the names that people have submitted as being problematic. Um, so that's what we're currently doing. Uh, we've certainly got a range of names that people have flagged for various reasons. Um, some within the scope of the project and some not within the scope of the project. So for example, names that people flag um, as being problematic because they are incorrect taxonomically. Um, we are not planning to address those. Uh, we're only gonna be focusing on names that have a dehumanizing effect. Um, and so um, 
so we're currently looking at that list and, and deciding which names and maybe which groups of names we might want to change and what the effects of those could be. So, um, you know, we, um, we haven't identified which names are going to be changed yet. Uh, that's a discussion that we'll be having uh, among the task force. I think we'll also be reaching out to, uh, to different groups before we make decisions. So if we have, um, you know, if we, if we want to change names that include some geographic descriptions, I think we'd want to get a good sense from uh, maybe entomological societies in those areas on, you know, what effect has this, has this had? Would you be supportive of, of changing this? Um, that we, the task force is just a small group of people. And so um, I think we can probably not the best group to determine exactly which names will be changing, but can really um, solicit feedback from people regarding the things that we think are problematic and determining if they actually are problematic. Um, did you have anything else to add? I just want to say, I think we should give a round of applause to Josh because he is the one who spearheaded this and is leading it and just going to, thanks, Josh. <laughs> we, can, uh, we can add that in as audio for sure. Uh, we were doing maybe like the Zoom clap, like a very polite golf clap, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, here, there. <laughs> That's nice, but I, I do not accept, I do not accept. Um, I've worked <laughs> with a lot of really good volunteers, both on, you know, in the Better Common Names Task Force and certainly in the, um, in the Lamantria Dispar or now Spongy Moth, I guess we can say, working group who have done a lot of the outreach work and given me a lot of information and insight and direction I feel like my role has really been kind of to take pieces of information and ideas that people share and and bring them into one. Um, but a lot of the the ideas and direction and really the work has been done by um, by volunteers, by members, by by entomologists. And so I'm really thankful to be working with a good group of people. Well, we want to say thank you to both of you for joining us here today. We're excited for what comes next with the Better Common Names Task Force. I like that better than Project Task Forces. It has a lot more action behind it. I hope you get jackets and badges and things. Uh, and I am personally very excited to implement, implement the new Spongy Moth name. I don't know, Mike, is that something that you teach on often? It's not. Um, but after after today, I, you know, I, it was my least favorite of the choices. But I think I've come around like it. I like it. Um, a convert. At least, at least more than I did. So, um, success. <laughs> I used this on Twitter, but you soaked in the name for a little bit and now you like spongy moth. Ooh. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I think we're all going to be using it. I don't know, Jody, if you, if you have to teach on spongy moth very frequently in the, the plain state of Nebraska, but, uh, we, we are working on it quite a bit here in Kentucky. So are there places that the people listening could go to learn more about the task force and to see, uh, where they can learn things about what's up next and, and some of the changes that could be coming down the pipeline? There is. So to learn more about the spongy moth and the even more detail than I provided of what all went into this process, you can visit entsoc.org slash spongy moth. Um, um, and in terms of the Better Common Names Project, that would also be on the ESA website um, under our common names menu. Um, we can provide a link to that homepage um, in the show notes. Absolutely. We will have those both down there. Uh, also wanted to offer the chance for any personal pluggables that you would like to promote to the listeners of Arthropod. This is not personal, but I have a, a pluggable. Um, 
because it's related to our discussion, um, there's a scholar named Jeannie Shinozuka. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. Um, and, and some of her work was, was really important in um, the formation of this project and outlining some of the reasons why common names with geographic references are problematic. There's a whole sphere of research around things um, like the immigrant, immigrants, uh, immigrants as animals, um, and the common metaphors that people use to talk about immigrants or or non-white people in relation to metaphors that are commonly used for for insects or animals. Um, so she has a, a book coming out that I'm really excited about. And I'm gonna I'm gonna plug it for her. It's called Biotic Borders: Trans Trans-Pacific Plants and Insect Migration and the Rise of Anti-Asian Racism in America, 1890 through 1950. That book comes out in April. Uh, it's currently available for pre-order on the University of Chicago Press website. Um, and so I think it's, it's very timely because uh, while I have not read it, if, it's, if it relates to a lot of her past work, um, it's gonna be very much about how insects and insect names uh, have interplayed with social issues in the US and racism. Uh, which is exactly kind of the crux of the Better Common Names project. It's kind of right in the crux that that project's sitting in is how do these two things interact and what can we do to create a less racist society, sort of in the small s, bigger society, and then uh, within the entomological society of America. Yeah, we can put that in the show notes. I also wanted to point out your article in American Entomologist from winter 2021, Breaking Barriers in Entomology, the Better Common Names Project by Josh Lancet. Um, but there's a section about how you can get involved and what you can do to, to promote this. And, you know, as easy as use these new names when they're available. Absolutely. Use the new names. Um, if you want to be involved in a working group when we announce any other names that are be changing, please get involved. Uh, the Better Common Names Project Task Force is somewhat closed uh, just for size-wise and, and manageability, but our working groups, we want to be very inclusive. And so people who want to be involved in working groups, um, whether formally as part of the working group or, or just sharing feedback, um, if you see a name that we're going to change that you want to be involved in, please do um, respond to those invitations, which will be in any announcements to get involved. Um, we also have, um, this was in the the site I mentioned uh, before, but on the Better Common Names Project site, uh, we have a link to uh, a form you can fill out if you'd like to join a mailing list to be kept up to date on any future change, any future name change. Thank you for that. We will be linking to all of that in the show notes. You can also find us, the Arthropod Gang, online. We're arthro-pod.blogspot.com. Uh, we're on Twitter, arthro underscore pod show. If you have suggestions for show topics that you'd like to see in the future, you can hit us up on Twitter and let us know. You can also find us personally. I am at Bugman John. I am at Jody Bugsme, UNL. And I'm at Mscavarla36. We hope you'll join us next time for another educational trip into the entomology world. And we will catch you in a couple of weeks on Arthropod. It's time for our insect heroes to put away their nets and pheromone traps. Join us next time. Same bug time, same bug channel as the Arthropod gang make the world safe from poor insect podcasts until then keep on bugging